0: May we be here together now and be conscious of your presence with us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, St. Michael's. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving, or at least a tolerable one. A little fun fact I learned this is totally an aside. The average person gained seven pounds from Thanksgiving Day to New Year's Day. I don't have any room for another seven pounds. But Thanksgiving actually marks the holiday season for us in our culture. I know stores have been selling Christmas decorations since like before Halloween, but Thanksgiving is the day. That's why at the Thanksgiving Day Parade, Santa makes an appearance, hinting that within a month he will be coming to town, he will be arriving. And so Thanksgiving marks preparation season. The preparations have begun. You know, as Floridians, we move out of hurricane preparedness right into holiday preparedness. It's like when we enter our attics to grab the Christmas decorations. I've already done that. Maybe you haven't done that yet. We start to untangle all the Christmas lights and then start to bicker with our spouses, and we're blaming them for this problem as if they were the ones who put them away, but we're the ones who put them away. And we're looking for the dead bulbs until we get fed up and we just throw it out and go to Walmart and buy another set, right? That's how we'll prepare. We'll start to, you know, put items in Amazon wish lists or we'll be searching others for gift ideas. We'll be preparing our homes for guests or preparing ourselves for travel or preparing our mental and emotional states to enter back into certain family dynamics. Because this year, we're going to Uncle Tim's house. We're going to have to deal with, with that. Or, we might simply just be preparing to get through the holiday season as fast as possible. Because usually the holiday season, maybe for us, isn't so merry or isn't so jolly. You know, in some way, shape, or form, we will all be preparing, making ready for the arrival of Christmas but in the sea of holiday preparedness in the wake of making ready for the arrival of Christmas how are we preparing our hearts how are we making Of Mary the second arrival is Christ coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead we say that every single Sunday So Advent 1, this Sunday, marks a new year in the church's calendar. We reboot this Sunday. We reset this Sunday. Christians in the Episcopal Church, at least, or those who follow the liturgical calendar, we get to have two New Year's days. We get a fresh start twice in the same month. And this first week of Advent, we always focus on the second coming of Jesus. Now, if you read through the New Testament, you will discover that Jesus' second coming is a very common theme. And if you read it honestly, you'll also discover that the early church believed that Jesus would return to establish his kingdom here on earth, as it is in heaven, in its fullness, wipe away every tear, throw out sin and death soothe all the pain and the suffering, turn all the wrongs to right, that that was going to happen within their generation. They believed that. For them, it was imminent. Therefore, Paul, as heard in a Romans text this morning, and many other places in his letters to all the churches, and in the gospel passage, and many other gospel passages from the gospel writers, they all imply that Jesus' return would greatly impact and influence the way followers of Jesus lived their lives. See, they were to live as citizens of the kingdom, gathered in these kingdom of God outposts. So, another way to look at the church. See, St. Michael's Episcopal Church is a kingdom of God outpost here in College Park. And us citizens were to lay aside the works of darkness, as Paul said. This old way of being, this old way of thinking, this old way of life, and put on the armor of light. He also says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The new way of being, the new way of thinking, the new way of living. What does he mean? He's saying the citizens were to think, speak, and act in a way that reflects the character of their king. Like love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and generosity, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And embody the principles of his kingdom. Like loving God and your neighbor as yourself. Including your enemies. Or serving with humility, or caring for the poor and the sick and the downtrodden, or welcoming the outcasts, or sharing the gospel with the lost, etc., etc. These outposts would serve as an appetizer, as a sampling, as a foretaste. Citizens of the kingdom living like Jesus is really their king on earth. Right? Until the king actually physically arrives and expands these outposts to encompass the whole world, spreading that kingdom completely, encompassing everything and everyone in it, ruled not by fear and power and control and self centeredness, but love and compassion and peace. Okay? So, in light of Jesus' return, followers of Jesus were to take their life in Christ and this mission very seriously this was to be the top priority because Jesus made us his top priority the way that they lived their life was to be through the lens of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and this mission as they awaited his return so the second coming of Christ was very weighty very impactful on the way they were to live their life. Now, unfortunately, in certain church traditions, Jesus' second coming has been used as a scare tactic. As a means to use fear to motivate behavior modification. Like, you better not have a beer in your hand when Jesus shows up. And if you're an Episcopalian, you're like, we better not be having a gathering or a party because if Jesus shows up, then everybody's getting left behind because everyone's going to have a beer in their hand or wine. Right? I think you might catch my drift, especially if you grew up or you spent some time in a church tradition that used Christ's coming as a scare tactic to instill fear so that you would refrain from certain behaviors that were deemed sinful now, fear is a powerful motivator. It, it works for a time. But then fear will result in rebellion. We're humans. We, we don't like that. Eventually, we get fed up. And we either rebel offensively or we escape or retreat defensively. We don't stick around too long for that. So Jesus doesn't coerce us. Hear this. Jesus does not coerce us through Fear. Never. The one who says it is, I do not be afraid, doesn't use fear. He invites us through love. He says, behold, I stand by the door and I kick it in and forcefully enter your house. No. That's not what he said. He said, behold, I stand by the door and knock. The one who opens the door and lets me come in I will dine with them and they with me. Knocking is invitational. We have to open the door. He doesn't kick in the door. That's not how Jesus operates. See, fear forces. Love invites. And the love of Jesus invites us during Advent to hit the pause button on our life and take a moment and survey it. As someone told me this morning, to take an inventory. It's like a yearly checkup. Now, if you're going to listen to the sermon, you have to hear this piece. Okay? This survey, this inventory, is not meant to induce guilt. It's the feeling of remorse for a wrongdoing or shame. The feeling that there's something wrong with me inherently. Jesus doesn't dish out guilt and shame. We do that enough ourselves. He doesn't even need to. He removes guilt, and shame. The invitation is to sit with Jesus and take a loving, understanding, and compassionate look at our life and ask ourselves some questions. I'm going to give you a sampling of what you can ask. Like, where on the list of your priorities in life is preparing for the actual physical return of Jesus? Is that even on your mind? Do you even care? It's okay. You don't have to answer. Jesus knows. How is the return of Jesus actually impacting or influencing the manner in which you live your life? If you knew Jesus was going to show up tomorrow at 6 p.m., would that change the way you live your life today? Would it have any bearing on that? Another way to say that, a better way to say it, is to steward your life. Because believe it or not, guess what? My life, your life, our life, is not our property I don't really like that. Initial reaction to that. It's Jesus's. Our life is a gift. The very air we breathe is the breath of God. My whole existence depends on God. My life is not my own. And when I have something else, someone else's possession into my care, I'm usually a little bit more mindful on how I take care of it. Like when I'm driving someone else's car, Have you ever experienced that? You're like always looking in the rear view and the side views. You drive very defensively. You take special care. Why? Because it's not yours. It's the same with our life. So how are we stewarding, managing, ordering, looking after this life that has been gifted to us and entrusted into our care by the decisions we make, the way we choose to utilize time, You know, my father-in-law says that the greatest gift you can give another person is your time because you can never get it back. Time is a commodity that we can never get back. How are we choosing to use our time, to use our energy, to use our resources, our finances, our money, the practices we engage in, the relationships we invest in? Am I living my life on purpose? Am I living my life intentionally Or am I just living it haphazardly on a whim without any direction? Just running into trees and into brick walls? Are the practices I engage in, are they beneficial and healthy? Spiritually, emotionally, physically? Are they promoting wellness and vitality? Or are they actually, if I'm honest, unhealthy? Causing destruction and decay to my life and those people that are around me? Am I using? Am I using? Am I using elements of God's creation beyond their created intent? That's another way to talk about addictions. And we all have addictions. Some just are more socially appropriate. But we all have them. Using elements of creation meant to enliven and enrich our lives to such a degree that they actually cause destruction and decay. When I use food, or work, or shopping, or substances, or romantic relationships, or other relationships, or entertainment, like social media, or streaming services, or video games, etc., in order to self-medicate and numb to such an extent that they are no longer enriching my life, but they're breaking it down. It's now a problem. Is that going on in my life? by the manner in which I live my life, am I catering to my selfish desires? You know, there's a little bitty throne in that heart. Someone is sitting on it. Is it Jesus? Or is it me? Or do I have one cheek on the seat and I'm kind of pushing Jesus off? Or at least got a hand on it? And that could be any given day. It might look differently. That's a question to ask. When I leave the room... How do people react? Are they relieved because I'm critical, judgmental, dominating, controlling, toxic? What am, I leaving, what am I leaving behind? Or are they thankful for the experience to be in my presence? Not because I tell great jokes or something like that, right? But that I, I leave a trail of compassion and empathy and understanding. If you really want to know what it's like to be around yourself, if you're married, ask your spouse. They will be glad to tell you. <laughs> if you're open to listen, which you probably aren't, because I know I'm not. Not when it comes from my wife. Are there any biases that you have? Are there any prejudices that you have that are distorting the way you think about other people? Are you spending so much time and energy overworked and overscheduled which is really just to gain the approval of others at the expense of the most important people in your life. Are they getting your leftovers? On a scale from 1 to 10, overall, where is Jesus in your life? Is he a 4? Is he a 5? Is he a 3? Is he an 8 in this area? But you, you sit and you take this inventory with Jesus and you realize over here it's like a 2. Do you want Jesus higher on the scale? Do you at least want to want Jesus higher on the scale? These are just a smattering of things that we can ask ourselves during this season of Advent. Advent and Lent are both penitential seasons. What does that mean? That's why we say... Blessed be God, it forgives all our sins. His mercy endures forever. That's why we sang the first, Lord have mercy upon us. Lord have mercy upon us. It's a time to reevaluate our lives because Christianity is not mentally agreeing or subscribing to a, a laundry list of beliefs. This is about our life. Has a practical application to the way we actually live our lives. And we're invited in Advent to self reflect, to evaluate. Now, we're, yes, we probably should be doing this all the time, but the church calendar is not for superhuman beings, it's for imperfect human beings who forget, who get distracted, who wander off and get lost, who fail. In this process, if you take it, you're going to find an area where your life is out of alignment. That's okay. And when you do, you might be tempted, all right, I want to make a change. And you think that your willpower will be the source of your transformation. No. No. (sighs) That seven pounds is a column. There's going to be no willpower from now until New Year's Day. No. Willpower leads to guilt and shame when I fail. It leads to pride if I, quote unquote, succeed. No. This transformation is the work of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that dwells in your very being that you are marked and sealed with as Christ's stone forever in your baptism. As our prayer book says, is my favorite collet in the prayer book. Technically, it's a Lent prayer because I love Lent. We have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Our part is willingness, willing to allow the Spirit access to our hearts and our lives in the slow transformation process into the character of our King and the principles of his kingdom. We don't lay on the couch and the Spirit does a magic trick. That would be wonderful. That's not how this works. It's a little more interesting. We actively participate in this and taking this survey, this inventory, is one way to actively participate in our formation. And so I invite you to a holy advent as you would hear on Ash Wednesday in Lent. Amid all the crazy holiday preparations for the arrival of Christmas, if you could pause for a moment and see how you are preparing for the arrival of King Jesus himself who is coming. When he comes in his glorious majesty to bring heaven fully to earth and establishes his kingdom here forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash Saint Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.